Hi, I'm Chris Lester, creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can find my stuff at chrislester.org. You're listening to the Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, AF. Yes, Aaron? Guess what? Huh? We are currently doing episode 57 of The Melting Podcast. Shit, I wasn't ready. Well... Too bad, because this is recording, and it's time. Crap. Okay. So, um, put your chef hat on. It's a little tight. I'm still carrying you some... You do ho- have a bit of a big well, head. I'm still carrying some holiday weight. In your head? Uh-huh. Fat head? Uh-huh. Okay, then. I'll, I, I accept this. <laughs> so, uh... You couldn't have waited ten minutes before turning on the microphone, because this dish is almost ready. Okay, so, well, then, should we do something to buy us a little time? Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Let's see. What have, what have we got in the docket for today? Oh, uh, well, we, we have a main ingredient story. There you go. That, that, that'll buy us some time. Okay, yeah. Let you finish what you're cooking up. Awesome, awesome, because that, that, it's going to be cool. Um, so the main ingredient story we have is mm-hmm. from a new word chef. Ooh. But we've heard his voice on the podcast before, but it was just in a bumper. <laughs> we finally got him to give us a story. And I'm going to help you guess the name of this author. Okay. Do, 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 Charlie Brown! Charlie Brown, the one and only awesome guy, sent us what may be one of my favorite comedic main ingredients that we've done. Yeah, it's pretty epic. So rather than spoil everything, I say we just get this started. All right. right, Here we go. Bon appetit. A Bad Case by Charlie Brown Stephen woke up with a bad case of the gnomes. Rising from a dream in which he was scuba diving deeper and deeper until the pressure was too much to bear, he opened his eyes to find the weight on his chest was real. A tiny, white-bearded face wearing a gleeful smile almost touched his nose. Stephen was too stunned and too tired to leap up. Oh, shit, was all he could muster. When the gnome stepped off him and started going through his medicine cabinet, Stephen called his HMO. He felt it was definitely urgent, but not an emergency. The first appointment would suffice. His primary physician had a full schedule and no openings, but with a little cajoling, Stephen arranged to see another doctor. The ride was uneventful, mostly because his car had a never-before-used child safety window, so the gnome couldn't ride with his face to the wind. The gnome sulked in the back seat until he found a discarded magazine and made origami mushrooms until Stephen parked his car. The portobello, with a pouty, baggy-eyed face as the stem, was best. Stephen stared at the stirrups in the examination room and knew this doctor usually saw women instead of men, but Quovetus, American Healthcare. 
As the gnome flipped in the gynecological device like an Olympic gymnast on the rings, the doctor, a thin, balding gent with a gurgly Romanian accent, explained his brand new condition. It is sexually transmitted, I'm afraid to say. The doctor looked over his glasses as he turned to Stephen. So, he thought, Sheila had given him the gnomes. I'm afraid the only cure is passing it along. Stephen thought about his night with Sheila and how odd it had been. Throughout their congress, they both were clumsy and fumbling. He felt bad that he hadn't called, but he wasn't sure if she wanted to hear from him. He was still bummed about the whole thing, because he liked her, but she wasn't exciting. He should probably call her to talk about this, but it was still too awkward. He turned back to the doctor, putting on a smile. You mean I have to get laid again? Do you know how hard it was the last time? The doctor closed the thin manila that held his records. That is none of my business. To alleviate the symptoms, there are old wives' remedies. They might work. Stephen nodded to the doctor, who really didn't want to say them out loud. The doctor sloughed out a sigh. <sighs> All right. Let me think. The doctor put his hand to his chin, and Stephen crept forward on his padded chair. I believe you are to cleanse the genital area with lemon juice and rubbing alcohol. Stephen slid back immediately. That won't happen. How do you feel about enemas? Not enthusiastic. Well, some of the women in my country say spicy food drives them away. That one I cannot guarantee. The doctor continued with more instructions, but Stephen stopped listening. It was all so confusing, and the gnome, who was breakdancing on the exam bed paper, made crunching noises. Stephen grabbed him and walked out, thanking the doctor for his time. Stephen came home to find that his problem had multiplied. There were many male and female gnomes going through his CDs, reading his mail, and filling his internet browser history with porn and auction sites. He decided to call the original one Beardy, even though all of them, including the females, had facial hair ranging from Amish to Abe Lincoln. But Beardy was the only one with a mustache that gave him a Santa Claus vibe. He couldn't decide if calling the gnome Beardy because of the mustache was irony, paradox, or coincidence. He flipped quickly through Wikipedia, but it was no help. Stephen stood over the growing crowd of minuscule miscreants and wondered exactly what to call them collectively, if, or more likely when, he had to explain his condition to someone else. Although he couldn't hear them speaking, the gnomes all seemed to understand him. With the help of his thesaurus, he cycled through Bevy, Batch, Passel, and Sweet to a series of frowns. Murder brought a threatening reaction. Village was rewarded with smiles. He had a village of gnomes. He had to live with that. Stephen decided he liked cooking more than searing scrotum pain or a hose up his ass, so he drove to the grocery to find peppery pickings. The drive was pure chaos, because now he had multiple gnomes climbing around, bouncing on the seat cushions and blowing against the windows to puff out their cheeks. One female kept turning the radio to the hip-hop station and jamming up the bass. 
He regretted his choice of the high-end natural food store because it was just too big to keep tabs on his tagalongs. The gnomes overran all of the sample stations, stole grapes for a juggling routine, and posed in the garden supply section, only moving to scare those who would buy them. The final straw was when one of the green-aproned workers saw a gnome taking a gritty shower under the peanut butter dispenser. They allowed Stephen to buy the contents of his cart, which came to $151.32. Getting home, Stephen got to stewing, roasting, and slow-cooking the most diabolical recipes he could remember. For lunch, he made Johnny's Curry, an infamous concoction which held three chopped-up habaneros along with the usual spice mix. Stephen sat down to eat with anticipation, but, try as he might, he could only finish half the bowl. Still, he was encouraged. The gnomes finished off the pot. For dinner, he tried his best to recreate the evil jungle prince from the long-closed Café Siam. He knew Thai bird chilies and chicken were involved, and he cobbled together something close. He got a whole plate down, this being as flavorful as it was spicy. The gnomes looked like they wanted more. He didn't sleep well, partially because of his grumbling stomach and roiling bowels, but mostly due to the calliope chorus of gnome farts. But in the morning, the gnomes were still there. By the end of the third day, the gnomes took over his second bedroom. They hauled in garden dirt and grew crimson-striped mushrooms that smelled of dung. They commandeered his footy socks for bedrolls, and Beardy turned the clothes washer into a hot tub. When Stephen wanted to do a load of whites, a pruned Beardy handed him a shot glass full of mushroom wine. Reluctantly, Stephen drank it down. He didn't remember the rest of the night, and the next day, the hangover was fierce. Through the searing headache, he tried to figure out what to do. He felt he couldn't live like this, trying to keep order with the gnomes. At work, all he could do was think about what trouble he would find when he got home. Stephen decided he had to get back into the dating pool. Anything to get rid of this nuisance. It would be a horrible thing to do, but he wanted his life back. Let someone else deal with this mess. All of his tried-and-true ways of meeting women, online dating, bars, would take too long. So, he gave speed dating a try. When he arrived at the bar, expecting there to be many different women, Stephen realized that the gnomes were hip to his plans. They must have snuck into his car and quickly run in while he fretted in the parking lot, trying to psych himself up for the lies he had to tell. The female gnomes filled the slots, so... As he went from table to table, he saw only his hirsute housemates. The first one batted her eyes at him like the world's ugliest cupie. The second blew fish-lipped kisses. The third simulated oral sex, jabbing her tongue into her cheek. He actually considered the offer, trying to figure out if it would solve or worsen his problems. In the end, the logistics just wouldn't work. Finally, he came to the table of an actual human female, with a name tag reading Claire. She was only three deviations from very attractive, he considered himself 3.5, and she drank white wine, which had a nose of surrender and a finish of desperation. It matched the top notes of existential crisis in his single malt. She crooked her mouth to the left. Wow, she said. Someone who can look me in the eye. 
Stephen looked down the line, and Beardy and his bros waved at him. He turned back and tried to make his own smile simmer. And maybe I'll actually answer your questions. The rules of the night were no job talk and no personal history. Creativity was emphasized and only reacting to physical beauty of the potential date was discouraged. Stephen answered he would be an oak, like the ones that line St. Charles Avenue in New Orleans. He would be the planet Mercury because he liked hot weather, and the dinner would be with Muhammad, Jesus, and Emperor Augustus because he would want to see how quickly a fistfight would break out. Claire's last question came offhandedly as she filled out her date evaluation cards. What's up with the gnomes? They're with me. Stephen shut his eyes tight. You have gnomes? When were you going to tell me? He could only shrug his shoulders as the bell rang. He got a rating of one out of five, his only point coming because Claire liked his honesty. The gnome with the Van Dyke got her phone number, but the little fucker never called. Over the next week, Stephen hit bars, gallery openings, and adult sock hops. He even went to a church social for one of those Protestant religions he just didn't understand. But like Mary and the lambs, the gnomes turned up wherever he went, and he got thrown out of every function before he could connect with anyone, and he would go home without human companionship. On the second Sunday night, Stephen splayed on the couch, exhausted from heavy drinking and still going to work every morning. As he watched the football game, the gnomes joined him. Most snuggled up in every corner of his body as others carted in bags of microwaved popcorn. While he couldn't hear them cheering, they were into the game, throwing up their arms at the great catches or big hits. For the first time since they arrived, Stephen felt relaxed. Even though he had given up on the spicy food, that Monday he found Andui sausage and decided to make jambalaya. As the cayenne smell filled his apartment, Beardy broke out a concertina and another gnome grabbed a wire-ringed notebook to use as a washboard. Soon they were playing My Toot Toot. Stephen thought their version was pretty good, so he danced around the kitchen trying not to step on any of his housemates. While the rice boiled in the stock, he decided to finally call Sheila. He had put it off too long and he needed to know the truth. He wasn't sure what he was going to say, but she picked up midway into the second ring, and he could only stammer out a weak, Hello? I was wondering if I was going to hear from you again. Her voice balanced exactly at the midpoint between excited and peeved. Well, there's this problem. I should have told you, but I... <laughs> I know. Three-date rule. I stressed that. Sex after a third date was the explicit social contract in Stephen's mind. But why hadn't Sheila warned him? You know, it was really great. Her voice sharpened to a katana edge. If you want to give it another try. He heard something in her voice. The tone could not mask that she lied. You want the gnomes back. No, you were. Sheila's voice sounded nervous, like she didn't want to offend him. Stop! Stephen held up his hand, even though she couldn't see it. It was first-time sex. I'd give us a B-, minus, mostly because of the red wine. Okay, you're right. It was only... okay. But I didn't know I was gonna lose all of them. 
I had plans. Like, I went to the Baby Gap that week, and I downloaded all these knitting patterns. He put his hand over the phone receiver and turned to see the remaining gnomes two-stepping in a circle. Hey, do y'all want to go back with Sheila? The gnome fade do immediately ceased. Scowls ripped across their fist-sized faces. Beardy stepped forward and thrust his thumb downward. Stephen uncovered the phone. It looks like I'm stuck with them for a while. Sheila cried on the phone and then came to Stephen's home. She threw open her blouse in a desperate move to get him in bed. But she wanted the gnomes, not him. He asked her to leave. Beardy saluted her as she walked out. Stephen decided to wait the gnomes out. Had the doctor said something about a cure? He couldn't remember. He thought maybe boredom would drive them away. But staying home and cutting himself off from society developed from slight sadness to a full-grown funk. He could feel himself giving up. He ate cheese dip for dinner. His face bloomed a bushy beard. Soon, soft rolling hills were visible beneath his t-shirt. From his CD collection, the gnome saw Stephen had a deep love of Mississippi Delta music. To cheer him up, they decided to lip-sync to some 12-bar ditties, but they could only cobble together a half-assed Blues Brother tribute that made Stephen angry and he threatened to call Sheila. The gnomes gave up and created a video of them dancing to Michael Jackson's Thriller. It got over a million views on YouTube. Over the next month, he noticed, despite his weight gain, that his pants were loose and baggy. He had to switch to military-style pull-tight pants to keep from showing ass crack. His shirt felt like circus tents. After two months, Stephen woke up to find that he himself had turned into a gnome. He stood on his bed, now a lake of cotton, and looked at his stumpy legs and round belly. He thought back to the day in the doctor's office. Had the doctor said curse instead of cure? He rappelled down the covers to the floor as the other gnomes surged toward him, Beardy in the lead. Beardy, what happened to me? The name is Moses, brother. Welcome to our village. Moses pulled him into the world's tiniest bear hug. Right, you can talk. Stephen heard the growly timbre of Moses' voice and tried not to compare it to Papa Smurf. We could always talk. You... Just couldn't hear us. Are your voices like dog whistles or something? Moses nodded. Okay, now for the hard question. It's quite simple, Stephen. If you don't get rid of us, you become one of us. I was human once myself. Just like everybody in the village. But what if I want to go back? Moses laughed at the question. <laughs> This wasn't what Stephen wanted to hear. He crumbled to the ground, and all of his repressed feelings erupted in a howl. He felt the tears flood his cheeks, and he smashed the carpeted floor with his minute fists. I don't want this! I want my life back! Moses crouched down and put his arm around Stephen's shoulder. With a soft force, he lifted Stephen to his feet and pointed to the now-huge room. Take a moment, Stephen. Look around. Things may not be as bad as you think. It was then, as Stephen beheld his house in the faces of his new family, that he saw just how radical his shift in perspective was. 
It was like he was a toddler again, all the world huge and wondrous. The cloud of his funk dissipated, and he finally understood why the gnomes didn't care about human rules. He turned to Moses. What happens now? We need to find a new home. But, before we set off, we want to throw you a welcome party. He made a deal with his new leader. If Moses would learn how to play some Fats Domino on his concertina, then Stephen would somehow make a seafood gumbo. They spat in their hands and shook on it. That's like the best STD ever. Hose. That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, the good thing is, that story gave me enough time to finish this dish, but it's one of those that actually needs to kind of rest to before rest. consuming. So I say we take just another minute or two and let that rest, but talk about somebody else. Or let somebody else talk about themselves. That's a good idea, too. Have a promo. That makes sense. Under 30,000 feet of water, the exploration rig Leaguer has discovered an oil field larger than Saudi Arabia. With oil so sweet and pure, nations would go to war for the rights to it. But as the team starts drilling exploration wells in their race to claim the sweet crude, a deep rumbling beneath the ocean floor shakes them to their core. Something has been living in the oil. Paul E. Cooley's The Black is a techno-horror thriller reminiscent of movies such as Leviathan and The Thing and puts terror right into readers' ears. The Black, a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Ocean exploration will never be the same. And we're back and oh my gosh that smells good well that's because i just you know took the the tinfoil off and there's an author in there mm, fresh baked author mm -hmm. and you know what else you know what he's holding a fresh His breath a fresh baked book Ooh! because what we have next this is what i was preparing is a little seasoning this is actually with an author that we've had on before mm-hmm Chris Lester, amazing man, yes. great friend of the podcast, and he has just released this fresh, hot-off-the-presses novel, The Lost and the Least. Yes. So I got to sit down on the Skype line and talk to Chris about his book. We talk a little bit about the writing process, but we've discussed that with him before. Mm -hmm. But we also talk about projects coming down the line and some other stuff like that. So we get a little more in-depth than, than we normally do, so... Had to make sure that, you know, he was fully rested, the juices were well distributed, all that stuff. All right. Let's enjoy. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. It is your head chef, AF Grappin, here for another little seasoning segment. Now, this is going to be a little different than what we normally do, because normally we bring an author on and we talk writerly things. This is someone we've had on before. 
I'm going to bring on Chris Lester, author of, uh, let's see, Making the Cut. Oh, God, and 60,000 other books that I just cannot think of the names of right offhand. <laughs> but, Urban Legends, yes. Things Unseen, and Divine Intervention. And the new book is called The Lost and the Least. Hi, hey, Gus. Chris. Uh, yeah, I have read all of them except for the new one, The Lost and the Least, but we will get to the new book in just a minute. So Chris Lester is a word chef who has been on the podcast before. We love him very, very much. But we had a good discussion. Uh, I'm wanting to say it got put on the show last year, but I could be completely lying. Um, no, it did. Was it? Was it last year? I think. Yeah, I think it was last year. Um, but we we discussed, you know, some basic writing stuff. We talked about metamore a little bit then. So rather than just rehash everything, um, we're mostly going to talk about your newly released book, The Lost and the Least. But. Yes. yes, and I'm seeing a, a gorgeous shot of it right now. Unfortunately, this is not a video podcast or a vidcast, but oh, that is so fancy. I like the half-naked man on the front. That is awesome. <laughs> <There's>, uh, <laughs> that would be so John. Chest- Wait, is that is that the John? Succubus John? That's yes. the John. Oh. Yeah, John and yes. Kate. We'll get to them shortly. Um, I do want to start, Chris, because you know we do every year have the one question that we ask everybody who comes on the show, and it's always something just generic about the the writer left. So I'm going to pose mm-hmm. this to you. All right. So how do you cope with those situations where you don't feel creative, but due to deadlines or personal goals, you have to be? Mm. This is a good question. And it's one that I'm currently wrestling with because, um, I completed the lost and the least, uh, earlier, you know, in, in late 2017 and then spent most of November and December working on getting it ready and, uh, getting it to market. And so now it's a new year and I'm working on trying to write again and I'm seriously out of practice. Um, what I'm doing right now are the things that uh, I have been doing, which is keeping track of my writing every day, keeping track of uh, the amount of time that I spend and uh, my word count in a, um, in a Excel spreadsheet um, and then reporting to my faithful podcast listeners on the Raven writings. So when I have a week where I have done anything, then I have to stand there in front of my recording device and say, guys, I blew it this week. I didn't write anything. And, um, and that doesn't feel great. Um, another thing that I'm doing right now, which I just started doing this week, I don't know how long I'm going to stick with it, but I felt like I needed a, um, a change of pace. Like I needed to sort of do a palate cleanser after the long big book. And, um, I needed to not think about metamorph for a while. So, um, our friend Dave Robson has this, uh, group on Facebook called flash prompt where every day he posts a new image and it could be, all kinds of different things. Some of the images are funny. Some of them are surreal. Some of them are beautiful. Some of them are disturbing. And um, so the challenge is to write, um, to write at least a paragraph about each picture. I have instead taken the pictures and I'm using them 
as the impetus for writing a short story or a flash fiction piece. Um, I'm trying to keep them under a thousand words as practice in writing short. Um, the one that I was working on today, I got to 935 words on my lunch break and I still wasn't even halfway through. So um, that one's going to either turn into a longer sort of a story or I'm going to need to go back and pare it down substantially. Um, but each of the stories that I've, I've been um, doing this week has been very different. And so I, I'm hoping that this will sort of um, jumpstart my creativity and help me get back into the rhythm of writing things so that I can so I can be productive this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm part of that group too, and I don't I don't do that every day. Mostly it's because I do have some a lot of projects I'm working on, but sometimes those pictures really do just spark something, even if it's small. Um, but mm. but that's also a feeling yes. of accomplishment, actually, just finishing something. So that's got to be helpful. Exactly. <clears throat> that was the, that was a, another big thing. Was like I need to just do something short so that I can say that I've done something. Yeah. I've been working on this um, Artax story, which is, was originally going to be a short story and is now looking more like a short novel or a, or a long novella, um, which is it, it, um, a steampunk era um, Artax story from, you know, in his or in his middle age, I guess. But um, it's uh, kind of Indiana Jones meets James Bond. Um uh, and I, I still love the premise, but the story is just dragging in the middle right now. So I just needed to step away from it and do something else. So you just released uh, The Lost and the Least, which it, that's oddly hard mm-hmm. to say, released The Lost and the Least. Wow. Um, <laughs> which is set again in your uh, Metamore City. So give me, give me a quick Correct. overview of, of The Lost and the Least. Lost in the Least is the fifth book in the Metamore City series. So far, there have been three full-length novels and two short story collections. Um, so this is the latest book. It takes place um, right after Things Unseen, about three weeks after Things Unseen. Um, the uh, At the end of the last book, our, my police detective, Catherine Catane, uh, was involved in a shooting uh, in her capacity as a police detective. And so anytime that there's an officer involved shooting of a mortal, there's an investigation. Um, The officer in question is placed on leave. There's a hearing, you know, they have to decide whether or not the shooting was justified. And then they have to decide whether or not the, the officer is fit for duty um, this is true in the real world, and it's true in Metamor. Um, <clears throat> in Kate's case, uh, she has been seeing the staff psychologist, Jared Tamlin, who uh, longtime metamorphs will recognize from making the cut. Um, she's been seeing him for her fitness for duty assessments and has not been making any progress in her, her treatment um, for reasons that she doesn't understand. And frankly, neither does Jared. And uh, she feels like she didn't do anything wrong 
there's nothing wrong with her. She should be back out getting bad guys. Like that's what she's supposed to be doing. And she doesn't understand why the system is treating her like she's broken. And, uh, so she's very frustrated and um, kind of going stir-crazy at this point. Um, in the midst of this, she gets an invitation from Captain Shaw, who is the leader of the Special Investigations Division. SID is the elite force within the Metamore City Police. They handle terrorism, major theft, kidnappings, um, organized crime, uh, missing persons, all that sort of thing. They are the, the best of the best, and they, they have a citywide jurisdiction. And Shaw calls in Kate for a meeting and says, you know, I've been looking at your file. I, I heard about what you did under the Citadel in the last book. And... um you're my kind of cop and I want you on my team. And if you will transfer to SID, then I will make this problem go away for you. I will get you back on the force and get you back on active duty. And uh, so Kate accepts and soon finds herself tangled up in a citywide conspiracy um, that is kidnapping people uh, off of, mostly off of the street and killing them in a way that makes it look like the vampires are responsible. And uh, Morgan Drowling, Kate's best friend and the uh, vampire medical examiner, um, realizes that this is a front, that the, the vampires are being framed for these killings. And so then that leads to the question, why else would somebody drain people's blood in large quantities Um what would they be using this for? And it leads to a bunch of unpleasant discoveries uh, that go deep into Metamore City's history um, and into Kate's own personal family past, which she is not aware of because she was adopted. So she does not really know much about her biological father. And uh, in the course of this story, she finds out um, about him, about her old captain, Jill Montgomery, and their partnership, and about the secrets that uh, Captain Montgomery was forced to keep um, because of this massive conspiracy. Wow, I'm just, I, I want this book open in front of me right now. <laughs> soon, <laughs> very soon. Um, so you said this is the, the fifth novel. It. Fifth book, Fifth sorry. Book. Cause, yeah, because the two and there are yeah, two right. story collections right. and three novels. Um, so, and you also mentioned that we're going to see some characters that we we mentioned Jared that we knew from making the cut, mm -hmm. um, and obviously the um, things yep. unseen would uh, involved Kate. Things unseen involved Kate. Um, you're also going to see John, who showed up briefly in Things Unseen, and it was also in Divine Intervention. You're going to see Callie Linder, uh, who was in both uh, Urban Legends and Making the Cut and had a brief appearance in Things Unseen. Uh, Morgan's back. Evan and Ava Salindi are back. Um, obviously, the captain's back. Uh, Kate's partner, David, is out of town. He is helping the Majestrix with a 
super secret diplomacy project that is the result of events and things unseen. Um, so, so he is not in town for this because, um, when I was, I was, I knew at the beginning of this story that I was going to be taking Kate into her lowest, darkest point. This is her, her walk through the shadow. And in order for her to do that, I had to cut her off from all of her sources of support. So I cut her off from the captain, I cut her off from David. Um, and the only person who she's really feeling like she can talk to at the beginning of this book is John, who uh, is very much a creature of the shadows himself. So would you say that a reader could just pick up The Lost in the Leaves without any background in Metamore, or is it intended to be read in order with an, you know one or more of the previous books? It's intended to be read at least after Things Unseen. Um, I would say that, you know, if Things Unseen is a fairly decent starting point, um, I, I wrote it intentionally to be a the start of a new story arc, although it does play in a lot of uh, elements from other from the other stories. Um, Lust in the least, it's most important that you know what happened in Things Unseen. It's helpful if you've also read uh, Making the Cut because there are some other background stuff that you'll get that way that you wouldn't get otherwise, but it's not strictly necessary. Um, so Metamore City is an urban fantasy sci-fi setting. Um, of mm-hmm. the books that have come out so far, I know you've got at least one mystery. Things Unseen was very mystery-based as far as genre. Making the Cut mm-hmm. struck, uh, struck me as more of a heist would I, and mm-hmm. obviously yes. the uh, the anthologies have all sorts of different genres on the stories themselves. Um, what would what mm-hmm. would Lost in the Least be genre wise? Lost in the Least is a police procedural with elements of conspiracy Ooh. thriller. Um, so, just out of curiosity, for for anything any stories that are coming down the line, are you planning on exploring other subgenres, or is this just kind of the way things are unfolding right now? <clears throat> Um, I, so the next book that I have planned, um, in Metamore City is going to be another story collection, um, which is all going to be, I think that the next, the next collection that I publish and don't, you know, hold me to this, but this is the plan at the moment. The next story collection is going to be all about the life of Wizard Artax. And so we're going to have a bunch of different stories taking place at different points in his life. Um, this includes fire in the sky, which, uh, aired on Maven and the writing desk, um, a few months ago. It is a, uh, that's a, that's a war story. Um, operation Ibex is, uh, the next story chronologically. And that is a, um, that's a spy adventure, sort of Indiana Jones meets James Bond in a steampunk world. Um, the Wizard Family Solstice will also be in there. That is a uh, uh, Christmas story, um, <laughs> which uh, I guess you've read <laughs> or listened to. <laughs> you, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember if I have or haven't, but just the thought of it is is – it tickles me. <laughs> yeah, that's family family drama and warm fuzzies. Um, 
And uh, I've got a few other stories uh, in various degrees of readiness that uh, that I want to do for that collection um, to show to to help people understand how Jack's got to be the person that he is. Um, I also have some story ideas in mind for a collection called Dangerous Minds, which would be about the telepaths. Mm, um, the next novel that will deal with Kate and her crew um, is going to be called uh, None Shall Dwell Within, and that is going to take the uh, the gang war that has been simmering for uh, a while now, and it's going to put it into front and center. And my current plan for that is that um, – this is a sort of um, escort mission um, where Kate and her partner are responsible for protecting the life of a man who has been wrongfully accused of a crime he did not commit. The problem is that the man in question is the crime lord, Malcolm Ardvalos. Wrongfully accused, right? No, he really didn't do this one. <laughs> but, 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 but really, an escort mission? Those are what every video gamer hates. I mean, come on. So, <laughs> um, to, to kind of away um, the Lost mm-hmm. of the Beast just by itself. So, predominantly, what you write is set in mm-hmm. Metamore. Do you find yourself limited, or are the possibilities just too endless that you don't feel trapped at all? The. Um... There are limitations to working in Metamore. Um, I'm constrained by continuity. I'm constrained by um, my long-term plans for the setting. Um, I do have story ideas that I want to deal with that are not in Metamore. In particular, I have a apocalypse trilogy that I want to write, um, which is based on in the same world setting as the uh, the erotic short story that I did, Tears Such as Angels Weep. Um, I have a lot of planning done for that that story, and uh, I just don't feel like I'm ready to write it yet. There's something. Something in me that is saying that I'm not ready to take it on, and that could be fear, um, but it could also be I've got these other things that I want to clear off the decks first um, before I tackle another massive project. Because I've got a number of other um, shorter story ideas that I'm I'm trying to, to clear out. Um, one in particular is a short uh, fantasy novel that I'm working on uh, that's completely different from Metamore. Um, this is more in a swords and sources, swords and horses era of fantasy, um, and it's uh, it's called the Blood God's Gift. It is a uh, story that sort of sits from the premise of if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons or any role playing game like that, you know that um, characters kill things and gain XP, and then they become stronger and better at whatever it is that they're trying to do, even if what they're getting better at has nothing to do with killing things. (laughs) 
so the premise is like, what if like there was a world, a fantasy world where that is literally true? So there is a, um, the, in this world, most of the gods are silent, but the blood god Maraxis, who is lord of the underworld, has chosen about one in every 10,000 people to, um, be his recipients of his gift, his blessing which is that if they send souls down the dark river to him, then he will, for a time, allow them to rapidly advance in any other thing that they try to do, anything that they try to accomplish. <laughs> you want to become the world's greatest source, you know, swordsman, you can do that. You want to become a great bard, a great you know, wizard, you can do that. But it requires the shedding of blood. And the more powerful you get, the more powerful your offerings have to be until uh, until eventually you get to the level at which the only other acceptable targets that are going to get you anywhere are other chosen. So, Oh, so that's not, that's not where mine went. Mm-hmm. My, my so obviously went. <laughs> this creates a world that is perpetually steeped in chaos and conflict. And you have these warlords who are all chosen – who are struggling against each other um, and also trying to wipe out any younger, smaller chosen who might uh, become a threat to them someday if they were left alone. Uh, my protagonist is one of a pair of twins, a brother and a sister, and uh, they both are chosen and they are just from a little village in the middle of nowhere. And the brother starts you know, figures this out pretty quickly that there's something about the fact that they killed this thief that is making him a better fighter. And so he starts like volunteering at the butchers to be the guy who kills all the animals. And then (laughs) he becomes this hunter who's going out on these long quests and bringing back boars and dire wolves and all these things. Um, And meanwhile, his sister is like running, you know, the tavern, um, but this older adventurer shows up um, who explains to them what they are and what their deal is. And it's like, you will never be safe here. You need to come with me. And I will teach you how to use this power to fight against Marax's intentions and to work to create order and to create safety for the common folk who Otherwise, they're always going to get stepped on by these warlords. So then it's about their choices and uh, how the two twins diverge as they grow in power and experience and you know what they decide to do with this terrible gift that they've been given. Is just out of curiosity, is that intended to be comical? Because I'm a D and D player, and just the the concept is making me crack up. It's it. I I also laughed when I first heard it, but I'm playing it very seriously. Uh, because um, I actually spent a lot of of 2017 listening to those kind of novels that take aspects of D and D and make them so meta with the books themselves mm-hmm. that it just, it just sounds like that to me. I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, Orconomics. No. Yeah. You might want to, you might want to not drink Orconomics, NPCs and critical failures. Mm. Those are, those are the three series that I was, I was really reading and just, 
even if it's not humorous, it just sounds like it would fit in with just that kind of an idea. I love that idea. So you tell me when that book comes out. I will. <laughs> Darn tootin'. I'm about um, 7,000 words into that story, and I can tell that it's going to be at least a short novel. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I've been working on it since 2014, off and on. Yeah, I'm definitely going to want to get my hands on that one as as soon as it's available. <laughs> Right up my alley. I will contact you for beta reading. Awesome. I like that. Um, don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, where can you find Lost in the Least? Lost in the Least is available now on Amazon. It is available as a Kindle uh, ebook, and it is a. Uh, it's also available in paperback. Um, and starting sometime near the end of February. I'm going to be airing it on my podcast, uh, The Raven and the Writing Desk. It is, uh, you can find it at chrislester.org. And, uh, I will be running a chapter every week until it is done, which is going to take a while. Is it ultimately on Audible? It will. Awesome. So, uh, so audiobook listeners, be patient. That, that goes. Or tune into the podcast podcast and get it that way. way. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm the type that I can't just listen to it serial. I have to wait till it's all out and then binge. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But I'll be getting the ebook at some point. Um, and where can my listeners find you? All my stuff is at chrislester.org, uh, metamorcity.com for the older stuff that I do or have done. Uh, on Facebook, I'm uh, author Chris Lester, Patreon, I'm author Chris Lester, Mastodon, I'm author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. Ding, 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 ding. I think that was about seven. <laughs> All right, well, we really appreciate you have, uh, having you back on, Chris. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me, yeah. Gus. It's always nice to get a little more in-depth than we can in those that you know, those first interviews. Yeah, having a, a return guest mm-hmm. and being able to talk about different things, maybe questions we forgot to ask mm-hmm. the first time. Well, even and... just delving into a specific project. Mm-hmm. I want to read that book so bad. And I will. Eventually. Yeah. You've got a long reading list. I, I do, but I really love getting a chance to go back to Metamore City. Yeah. It's, it, it's a comfy place for me. Plus, I've heard rumor that my name might be mentioned in this book. I'm not sure if it's this one or the next one coming down the line. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's, there's grapping something in there. Nice. Yes. Well, I've I've used Chris in a book, so it's only fair. <laughs> I, I killed him. Anyway. That's not very nice. I'm not very nice. Yeah, well. But you know what else isn't very nice? What? Defacing classic literature. I know what you're talking about. I hope so. And I really hope that it's not a mystery it's to not. our listeners. No, but I see where you're going. Uh, it's a mystery meal, guys. Uh, yeah. Now this one was fun. Now, what's a mystery meal? Well, we explain it in the thing. You always yell at me when I explain it I before. I know, but it, it's something that we need help on. But yeah, we'll we'll explain. Mystery meal. And, and remember, it is completely unedited. Yeah. Yeah, so apologize for... Language, kitties making noises. Us interrupting ourselves. Yeah, we do that a lot. Yeah. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm already recording. Hi. (laughs) Hello, world. I got me with that one. Mutter, 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 mutter. (laughs) It's mystery meal time, guys. I got... Are are you sure? It's awfully mysterious. I have papers. And there's words printed and handwritten upon them. Your handwriting sucks. Yep.
<laughs> but uh, yeah, thankfully it's legible. Yeah. yeah. So as always, mystery meal are mystery meal are the mystery meal. Segment. This is the author here, folks. Mystery meal are words. <laughs> Much wow. <laughs> Such laughter. Very yes, wow. <laughs> it's, wow. Uh, it's when we take scenes from classic literature and turn them into Mad Libs with your help. Deal? Have this. I am having this. It is for having. <laughs> it is for having. Wow. Very, very have. It, it is has. <laughs> Much contained. Wow. And, and, and smoke. <laughs> Today's Cat reading candy. comes from Lord of the Flies by William Golding. This scene, I always have to introduce this scene. Um, this is basically just telling about how the boys adapt and build their ability to live on this island. And go. The first rhythm that they became used to was the slow swing from dusk to quick 9.42 a.m. <laughs> they accepted the pleasures of morning, the complicated sun, the whelming sea and sweet air, as a time when play was good and life so full that hope was not necessary and therefore forgotten. <laughs> well. Toward noon, as the floods of light fell more nearly to the perpendicular, the stark <laughs> trampolines of the morning were smoothed in pearl and opalescence, and the heat, as though the impending sun's height gave it momentum, became a blow that they ducked, napping to the shade and lying there, perhaps even regenerating. <laughs> I choose to nap here. With the seaweed wrap. <clears throat> Furry things happened at midday. Well. That escalated quickly. <laughs> The glittering sea rose up, moved apart in planes of blatant impossibility. The funnel cake and the irritating palms that clung to the more elevated parts would float up into the sky, would quiver, be plucked apart, run like raindrops on a wire, or be repeated as in an odd succession of mirrors. Sometimes, land refurbished where there was no land, and flicked... <laughs> This is slightly used land. (laughs) Pre-owned. Certified. Sometimes land refurbished where there was no land. He had to say it again. And flicked out like a bubble as the children peed. (laughs) Go for distance. Piggy discounted all this learnedly as a mirage. And since no jack-in-the-box could reach the reef, even the reef, over the stretch of water where the snapping hippopotamuses waited, they grew accustomed to these mysteries and snogged them. Just as they... Oh, okay. First we have furries, now snogging. Just as they ignored the green, (laughs) fugly stars. (laughs) Those are gas giants. (laughs) And they are beautiful. (laughs) But they're fugly. (laughs) <laughs> At semi-mid-morning-ish, <laughs> the illusions merged into the sky, and there the sun gazed down like an it. angry I can't, I can't Semi-mid-morning-ish. That's, that's what I like to get up. <laughs> so, 9 o'clock? <laughs> semi-mid-morning-ish. <laughs> Sorry. Go back to semi-mid-morning-ish. Sorry. At- at semi, semi-mid-morning-ish, <laughs> the illusions merged into the sky, and there the sun gazed down like an angry spleen. <laughs> then... Splun. Spleen sun. Then, 
At the end of the afternoon, the mirage subsided and the horizon became level and pea-green and clipped as the sun declined. Pea-green spleen! Pea-green spleen! Oh, God. <laughs> that was another time of comparative coolness, but menaced by the coming of the new year. <laughs> Chinese or American? When the sun boiled, darkness dropped on the island. I think we're reading about the end of the world here, folks. Yes. <laughs> dropped on the island like an extinguisher, and soon the shelters were full of restlessness under the remote stars. Nevertheless... The fugly green stars? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Nevertheless, the northern Lakota tradition... <laughs> Of Anvil, Post-it Note, and Litter Box right through the day made it possible for them to adjust themselves wholly to this new rhythm. They, they just needed to find a good litter box. <laughs> you can't see this guy, but he, he's scraping his foot on the floor like a cat digging in a litter box. The little and Fred Rogers had early crawled into a shelter and stayed there for 351 days, talking... Singing and sailing. Come sail away. Come sail away. I'm steering the island. <laughs> Till they thought him batty and were faintly amused. <laughs> Price check on prune juice, boss. <laughs> Price check on prune juice. Ever since then, he had been peaked. Lemon back of the throated and miserable. <laughs> Lillian, who played little and cried often. The smaller boys were known now by the generic title of Exalted Grand Pooba. <laughs> Each of them. Each of them. The... Or if you put them all together, you get one Grand Exalted Pooba. <laughs> you laugh like an old man. Get free. Good, let's continue. <laughs> the decrease in size from Mark Hamill down was gradual. <laughs> and though there was a dubious region inhabited by Bob Dole and <laughs> Bob, Bob Ross Dole. and Karen, <laughs> Karen Gillan, nevertheless, no one had any difficulty in recognizing Biggins at one end and Little Ones at the other. Oh, Grand Poobahs. <laughs> It's all about the hat. <laughs> they can all fit in it. <laughs> the undoubted little ones, who's those aged about 17, led a quite distinct and at the same time intense life of their own. They ate most of the day, picking guacamole where they could reach it, and not particular about ripeness and quality. <laughs> they were used now to frontal lobe aches and a sort of shell-like diarrhea. Oh, shit shards. <laughs> Shell-like. Sharding. They're sharding. They suffered untold terrors in the dark and huddled together for comfort. As a plane flew overhead. <laughs> Rescue! Plet! Belt. Belt. Apart from food and sleep, they found time for play, aimless and trivial, in the neon yellow sand by the bright water. 
They cried. Um, are we on a radioactive waste? We know where they peed. Oh, end of the earth, end of the world, right? Yes, and the you know the the green stars. <laughs> Fugly. <laughs> the boiling sun. <laughs> they cried for their stepsisters much less often than might have been expected. <laughs> they were very blue, of course, and filthy dirty. Smurfs. They obeyed the summons of the conch. Partly because Rin Tin Tin blew it, and he was angry enough to be a link with the adult world of authority. And partly because they enjoyed the entertainment of the assemblies. But otherwise, they seldom bothered with the biggins, and their passionately emotional and corporate life was their own. <laughs> they had built pound cakes in the sand at the bar of the little river. Build pound cakes in the sand. <laughs> Wow. Butts on trees? Butts on trees. These castles were about nine foot high <laughs> and were decorated with hourglasses, yummy flowers, and interesting mustard seeds. <laughs> Ooh, this one's interesting. <laughs> Round the castles was a complex of marks, tracks, walls, railway lines <laughs> that were of significance only if inspected with the uvula <laughs> at beach level. <laughs> Kiss the dirt. Kiss the, it. The little, little sand. the little ones were barbecued here. If, <laughs> <laughs> if not happily, at least with absorbed attention. <laughs> and often as many as 32 of them would play the same game together. <laughs> Let's play barbecue. 32 of you. Get out of there. <laughs> the hangry sun. Wow. There's some interesting <laughs> celestial stuff going on on that island. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, my guess is that uh, the island is populated with psychedelic shroomage. <laughs> Semi- and they're all partaking. <laughs> Semi-mid-morning-ish. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Man, I got the munchies. Oh, hey, look, yellow sand. <laughs> Guacamole trees. Those stars are so green. <laughs> ugly, man. Dude. I just had some shell-like diarrhea. <laughs> we all have shell-like diarrhea. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> Bye. I feel like we're forgetting something. Yeah, it feels like something's just missing from this episode. I mean, oh, 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 oh! Like- hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. I'm your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. Oh my god, we never introduced ourselves. I'm your head chef AF Grappin. How do they know who we are? It's a mystery. But we just did that. Oh, right. Do they know what episode this is? Yes, I did that. Okay, well, I'm saying it again. It's episode 57. Episode 57. 57. And it has been a great one. Yeah. So we just have a little bit of the regular logistics stuff to go over before we, you know... Stop. Cut, cut, cut you loose now that you know who we are. Before we, you know, stop recording. Yeah. Start crafting or something. You know, I kind of like this introducing ourselves at the end because it gives them a chance to get Stockholm Syndrome and then they find out how awesome we are. No, no, they they start listening to it and go, who are these amazing people with these voices of Greek gods and goddesses? Oh, wait, it's just those guys. Never mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's us. (laughs) It's just us. It's, It's Yeah. So anyway, stuff. Things you can do for just us. Yes, just us. Now... We like stories, as evidenced by the fact that we, we play them a lot. And we like it when you guys write us stories. And right now, we're hurting for flash fiction. 
Big time. Or Stoke the Fire stories. 1,500 words or less. It doesn't take more than an afternoon or two to write, guys. But we give you, you know, ways to spark ideas for them. So we always have two open prompts for Stoke the Fire stories. Mm-hmm. And the two that we have open right now are... Prompt number 14. A rash of people have just entered the emergency room. All of them exhibiting superpowers. <laughs> and prompt number 15. There is an expiration date for your birth certificate. It's only a few days away. Once again, dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah, your evil laugh needs some work. That's because I'm not evil. I'm an anti-hero. Yeah, there, there's a big difference. Oh, yeah. So if you want to write us a story based on one or both of those prompts. Or if you don't want to write us a story, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Um, But you can submit that at themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can always just go to themeltingpodcast.com, click on the submissions tab. That'll give you all the information you need on formatting and stuff, which it's not that picky, but it's nice to at least have, you know, some semblance of following the rules anyway there are other things that you can do if you are not of the wordly persuasion if you are of the crinkle money persuasion that helps or the plastic money or the plastic money it's not even real money yeah it's not it's it's not but you can go to uh, patreon.com slash af become a patron back the podcast for as little as a dollar an episode get physical swag and access to episodes early sometimes get access to our backer only episode every year mm-hmm. which those are special very special mm-hmm. very nice yes now you can also take some of that plastic not real money and go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast and get yourself some swag for not a dollar an episode with adorable art of us mm-hmm. on it yeah and proclaim your love for the melting podcast to the world yeah or just you know declare that you're a lexiconosaur or word chef yep with a fancy apron or if you're not of the crinkle or plastic money persuasion or the wordly persuasion mm-hmm. you could always stop by itunes for us and be of the astral persuasion because you leave us stars. Get I get it. it. <laughs> I get it. 70 stars. 70 stars. Mm-hmm. Create enough accounts that you can leave us a total of 70 stars. That'd be great. It'd be awesome. Yeah. But it helps with our visibility, mm-hmm. helps, obviously, other people find us. Uh, and... let's, let's clarify that a little bit more. Don't create 70 accounts and give us 71 star reviews. No. <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep it to the five stars. That'd be nice. Yes. That'd, that'd be appreciated. But yeah, it helps other people to find us, other people who might then... Send us not real plastic money and <laughs> and stories and some of the other things we have going on, like our short order cook. Yeah. Are are the new segments that we're introducing that I actually need to get on Facebook and, and promote, but short order cook, mm-hmm. where you challenge one of the podcast crew, me, Aaron, or Theo, to a five minute speed storytelling challenge where we get a minute to plan a story and four minutes to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. And then there's also our pot roast that we're trying to get started doing, mm-hmm. where we Friars Club roast, you know, an author or ourselves or ourselves, or you know, we could potentially roast like a, a book character if we wanted a book character or a famous author mm-hmm. who might be known for certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lots of lots of possibilities there. 
Um, I will eventually get Facebook posts up on some information on the website on those. So, you know, it makes more sense. But if you have any questions before that information all goes mm-hmm. up, always feel free to email us. Yep, email us. We have a Facebook group. You can ping us. We're, mm-hmm. we're around. We want you to interact with us. It, it really makes things a lot more fun. Yeah. I mean, we, we do this because it's kind of all about you guys. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, otherwise we're just two people talking to a, a microphone that has batteries in it. We're talking to batteries. Woo, batteries! Yay! We should get a you know a salt shaker in here. Batter, cake. I should bake a cake. Well, the oven's free because I just got Chris Lester out of there. Yeah, we don't have any beef with him anymore. No, you did not just. I just get your cake in there, and we'll just yeah, it's fine. I think we're done, guys. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff!